messages today and tomorrow, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we're going to look at chapter 1 of Matthew's Gospel. If you've got your Bibles with you, paper or digital, do access those this morning. We're going to look at the first chunk today. Uh, Appropriately, tomorrow we'll look at the birth of Jesus. But really, Matthew's Gospel, any Gospel, all of God's Word is intriguing. It is illuminating. It is revealing of divine truth. It is God's message to us. And so we do well to pay attention. The first 17 verses we're going to look at this morning, and I've entitled this sermon, The Promised Advent of Christ. The Promised Advent of Christ. I mentioned preparations for Christmas already this morning and I'm going to mention it again. I wonder how much preparation has gone into your Christmas this year. Well, in our house, not a huge amount of preparation. Um, And I think most of you will understand the reasons for that. Uh, We're still, in some ways, unpacking. Uh, We're still, in some ways, readjusting to 15 weeks without Yoko. Um, but there are many reasons why your preparations might not be uh, in the state that you would rather have them. I'm just going to remind you of how close we are to Christmas. Okay, Just in 15 minutes' time, we're going to be only 12 hours away from Christmas Day. All right. Possibly, if your children are kind to you, 18 hours away from wake-up calls that you get tomorrow morning? All right, I'm not laying a challenge to the children, all right? That's not a challenge. Forget what pastor's saying, all right? Yeah? You know, like Will Smith in uh, Men in Black, he holds up this thing to remove the memory, right? I wish I could do that. Otherwise, parents are not going to be happy tomorrow morning. We are on the cusp of Christmas. It's literally hours away And the important thing for us to remember uh, is not how glamorous and well-provisioned our Christmases are, how meticulously planned every last minute of the day is with games, refreshments, amazing dinners, activities. No. If you've allowed yourself to get in a tiz or a spin, whatever word you would use about Christmas, please forget that. Because, friends, Christmas is all about the humble birth of our Saviour. And it ought to stop us in our tracks right there. The simple life-transforming reality of the coming of the God of grace to us. That is Christmas. And it inspires human beings all over this earth to reverently draw near by faith, to see what God has done for us. In revealing his glory in the most beautiful and dramatic way that he has through the life of Jesus, the Messiah, the true heir to the throne of David. That true heir would make that throne both eternal and gloriously indescribably glorious. That's what Jesus came to do. 
heaven to earth. On the peace mission to end all peace missions. We see, don't we, on our screens, you know, this special envoy. Someone from the United Nations. The American Secretary of State flying in. Maybe the President himself. Or the Prime Minister dropping in as a peace envoy. Tony Blair, maybe. Dare I mention his name. Dropping in as a peace envoy to solve this problem or that problem. Jesus is far and away above and beyond any one of these people. He is the architect and the author of history itself. He is the one who brings peace. There is none like him. Jesus is God's answer, friends, to all the mess, misery and mayhem that we have participated in as a human race. When he came, Jesus would change everything for those with whom God is pleased to show his mercy. So as I begin today, I want to make an appeal for mercy. Since Christmas, the coming of Christ is all about the Lord's desire for mercy to those who need it. Is there anyone here who doesn't need Christ's mercy today? His mercy and forgiveness. You see, friends, God has declared mercy from heaven towards humankind. So let us, if we are in charge of dinners and arrangements tomorrow, let us be merciful towards ourselves and those who are helping us. And if we are in the blessed position of receiving from others tomorrow, let us be most gracious and merciful towards our generous hosts. Because, friends, Christmas is all about mercy. God's merciful provision of his Son, our Saviour. You see, friends, it's God's plans for Christmas, not ours, that count. The coming of Christ has been made long ago. So let us draw near by faith. Let's read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. 
Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. May God bless us with understanding and delight in his word this morning. Those opening 17 verses are kind of like an advent calendar, aren't they? You tick off the names, you tick off the boxes, you're getting closer to the main event, all right? Hopefully that's a helpful observation for you, but that's not really the core of what I want to tell you. You see, I've got three points, as usual, and unsurprisingly, Pastor Ben. Three Gs, okay? Firstly, Genesis. Secondly, genealogy. And thirdly, gospel. Okay, three Gs. Genesis, genealogy, and gospel. Make sure you're listening carefully, because there's a great encouragement here for us to see what God is doing through the pages of history through the pages of his word this morning. He is at work, and he is among us now. So firstly, actually the order's the wrong way. I've just given you Genesis, genealogy, and gospel, right? I'm going to start with genealogy, all right? Genealogy, Genesis, gospel, all right, in that order. If you're taking notes, I'll give you a moment just to swap the names around. Firstly, genealogy, okay? Some of you might be thinking, genealogy, what's that all about? What does that mean? Well, you need to understand that genealogy is an English word, all right, which is used in the translation of another word. And that word is Genesis. It's a Greek word, Genesis, right? Well, that's my second point. We're not there yet, all right? So you could say, Pastor Ben, well, surely then, if genealogy is really Genesis, then your first two points are the same. Well, keep listening, all right? What I want to say to you first is that the New Testament, of which this chapter is the first chapter in the New Testament, it's firmly rooted in the Old Testament. Okay? It's unmistakable. It's, it's no accident that Matthew, the, the evangelist, starts off his gospel with this retelling, this list, this genealogy of the ancestors of Jesus Christ on his earthly father's side. Friends, the claim that is made by the gospel writers, those men 
and women who helped them write these words. They are the eyewitnesses of the coming of Christ. And the claim made by them is that everything that Christ did was in fulfilment of the promises that God made in the Old Testament. That's the claim. And this is why there are so many Old Testament prophecies mentioned in the birth narratives of Christ. And this is why we focus on those prophecies this Christmas. Because the plan and purpose of God throughout history has been to come to them, to come to the people personally to redeem and remake them. Do we need remaking? Do you need remaking? It's a good question, right? Because you may be sitting there thinking, actually, all I need is a new iPhone. Just, Just to make my life complete, all I need is a new Mac Pro or iPad or I'm, I'm just advertising Apple products, aren't I? Or a new latest Android device or whatever it is. Right? It may not be a gadget. It might be, I don't know, an article of clothing. It might be a nice new pair of shoes. Uh, there, was, there was a story some time back called Needful Things, right? It's about how the devil gets his teeth into people through what they mistakenly think they really need. It's a shop of horrors, right? But there's something for everyone. On every shelf, in every room, there's something just to lure different people in to the devil's trap of materialism. So what is it that you think that you really need this morning? Are you aware that you need remaking? That you need new birth? Because that is how you worship Christ with that realization. Because he is the one uh, through whom we have joy because he's the one who gives us that new life. The second birth because of his entry into human history. We need redemption. We need remaking. This is the sorry story of humankind as exemplified by who? By me and you, yes. But also by these individuals listed for us by Matthew in chapter 1 of his gospel. This list of Jesus' ancestors ought to be clear to us if we are students of God's word. Some of those listed were abusers. Some of them were victims of abuse. All of them were sinners who stumbled and fell short of the glory of God. They're not just strange, foreign-sounding names on a page. These are individuals, men and women, made in the image of God, just like us, who have a story to tell and whose story is recorded in God's word. So let us pay attention. Let us be students of God's word. Let's consider, for example, the women mentioned in the list to illustrate how God often does unexpected things and how God loves to work with the most unlikely of people. Look at verse 3. We see mentioned Tamar. Tamar reminds us of the failures of who? Judah, son of Jacob. 
If you want to read about that sorry story, turn to Genesis 38, verses 6 through 30. Verse 5 mentions Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Joshua chapter 2, if you want to learn more. Then we see mentioned in verse 4 of Ruth. She was a Moabitess, an enemy of Israel. And according to Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 to 4, she and her people were under a special curse from God because of their waywardness and their sinfulness. Uriah's wife, verse 6. Who was Uriah's wife? Bathsheba, mother of Solomon, right? King David's own downfall. You can read all about that glorious story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. How, how are we doing, right? How are we doing for a set of stories about the coming of the King of Glory, right? Perfect and holy God has these ancestors. Their long-awaited descendant, the greater brother whom each one of us needed, came at just the right time, according to God's plan. Friends, that's what Isaiah 7 verse 14 tells us. We couldn't make this up. Friends, if you're sat there thinking, I don't believe a word of it, or some of your friends or family maybe will say that to you, I don't believe a word of it. Isaiah 7 verse 14. Therefore, what's that therefore there? Okay, there's an immediate context in the word of God. But I'm going to tell you this, right? That therefore is there because of the mess we've made of our lives, right? Because of the brokenness and sinfulness and rebellion in this world. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Friends, God leads from the front and centre in human history. We make a mess of it, he comes and sorts it out. Once and for all, in the face of the babe born at Christmas time. Friends, you might think, why is Pastor Ben picking such a boring text? All these names. Just a boring genealogy at the beginning of the gospel. If that's what you think, friends, then you haven't understood God's word. You haven't understood the significance of God's plan of salvation throughout history. How he meets with generation after generation across millennia. And he is ready to meet with you this morning. Here, in this place, around your dinner table, Wherever Christ is Lord, he is ready to meet you. And he is Lord everywhere. He is God with us. Incredibly, though he came through them, he was their creator. And that's how we get to Genesis. Second point. What does Genesis mean? Anyone? Beginning, origin, source, okay, in the beginning. Friends, the origin of this divine rescue plan for humanity comes entirely from God. It was his inspiration. It was his 
plan right from the beginning, and the genealogy tells us that. Right? 14 generations before uh, King David, 14 generations before the exile, and 14 generations afterwards. Notice the introduction to the chapter. The book of the genealogy, when in the NIV it says a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Slightly misleading because the actual literal translation is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But the word translated genealogy is the Greek word genesis, which means origin or source, where something comes from. So the text today demonstrates that Jesus comes, doesn't it, from a long, very long line of human individuals. His earthly father Joseph's ancestors. Jesus has a line of descent. Yet his origin is from old. Because Jesus was not genetically descended from Joseph. But he was genetically related to King David through his mother Mary's line. The line that some say is recorded for us in Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. That's why there's a difference between the genealogies. So the Gospel writer Matthew's point, okay, listen up, the Gospel writer Matthew's point is not only to give us a reminder of the events of the Old Testament, but it's also the deepest need of humanity. For a deliverer, for a redeemer, from the moral poverty and brokenness that has characterized our existence. In using the word Genesis, Matthew is harking back to the very beginning of time itself, to creation and how everything began. And in Christ, how everything can begin again with second birth. The truth is that it is no novelty that John begins his gospel with a revisiting of Genesis. You might think, well, when pastor says, what's your favourite gospel? Maybe John is your favourite gospel. We already read John 3.16, right, this morning. And you might think, well, John's is is a completely novel way of writing a gospel. It's not like the synoptics yeah, they're all basically just telling a very similar story uh, about the life of Jesus. And then along comes John with this super spiritual, theologically rich gospel. The reality, friends, is that John's gospel is no novelty uh, it, it, with the revisiting of Genesis. Matthew's gospel begins with the word Genesis. John's Gospel famously says, in the beginning was the Word, right? In the beginning was the Word. But here, in fact, Matthew makes the very same claim in his opening chapter. It's simply the fact that our English translation and focus on the genealogy, this list of Jesus' ancestors, takes our focus off, perhaps, the theological richness that is being communicated to us and the significant claims being made about Jesus' identity. You see, there is only one Christ. There's only one Messiah. And his name is Jesus. And so the title of this chapter 
is the genealogy or the genesis of Jesus Christ. And this title is not just the title of this opening chapter, it's the title for the whole gospel. It's the book of the coming. It's the book of the revelation, we could say, of the divine son, the anointed one, into history as a human being, the one who would change everything for his people. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests and kings were all anointed with oil, which visibly demonstrates the giving of the power and wisdom from the Holy Spirit in order for them to carry out their calling. Every one of the true prophets, priests and kings would point forward to the greater prophet, priest and king, Jesus, the anointed one. The one who would triumph and succeed where they all failed. Jesus was the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who completes what he, as maker of all, began. And that's what Matthew is saying here in his Gospel. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the genesis. He is the herald of a new dawn. He is the key for redemption. This brings me to my third and final point, the gospel. The gospel. You may think that you've got to read on in the pages of Matthew's gospel to get the gospel. Well, I'm going to preach the gospel to you now. You see, in these verses, hope is expressed. Not only the hope shared by every parent in the joy of the arrival of a newborn, but the hope of fulfilment of all the promises made throughout history by God to his people. Promises to love them, to make a a place for them, to guide them and to bless them. The Lord our God is the great shepherd of the sheep of all Israel, wherever they are found, both the natural and the engrafted branches. Yes, we learn all of this from this genealogy, friends. This genealogy of Jesus demonstrates clearly and without doubt at least three of the women mentioned here, Rahab, Ruth and Bathsheba, they have Gentile or non-Jewish associations. A significant theme of the Gospel of Matthew and the whole of the New Testament. In fact, when we look at the whole of the Bible, the clear love and concern that God has for people from among every nation, tribe and tongue is unmistakable. The Lord God himself arrives at a predetermined point in history through a chosen line of descent in order that his arrival would be obvious and indisputable. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. God's plan and foreknowledge and purpose in laying the way. The reality of Jesus' identity is the natural son of Mary, but not Joseph, is revealed. 
Joseph here is Mary's husband, we're told in Matthew's Gospel. That is his position. It's plain for us to see. Mary was the one chosen by God to conceive of the Holy Spirit, this Son of God. And so Jesus was born of God and is therefore uniquely qualified to unite heaven and earth. The Creator come to his creation to heal both the personal sins and mistakes made by every one of us, but also the corporate rebellion of Israel, a rebellion that led to her exile, as well as the corporate rebellions of each of our nations and ethnic groups. Let me say that again. Not only our personal, individual sin, but the corporate sins, maybe of our families, maybe of our tribes, our different ethnic groups, the nations to which we're associated. Jesus can deal and will deal with all of these things. You see, friends, sin spread from Adam, the first man, and his wife Eve to every part of the human race. Yet the Lord is infinitely merciful and meticulous in organising his rescue mission. God did not fail his covenant people and he will not fail any one of those who come to him in repentance and faith. So are we ready, friends, to receive this Christmas our Saviour, to acknowledge our need for this uniquely special child to be born in the squalor of a Judean stable for us. Unless and until we acknowledge God's right to rule, even us. Unless and until we acknowledge God's purity and his holiness and our poverty and moral failure. Until then, we will never be ready to receive the greatest gift that anyone can receive. The unmerited love and mercy of God in Christ. Friends, Jesus came not only to Mary and Joseph in the first century, not only to lead his disciples by the shore of Galilee, but he came to all of his people throughout history to lead us from captivity to sin, from false hopes and vanity that this world tries to trip us up with. He comes to lead us from that, to revere and worship his holy and glorious name, now and always, because in his name we have life in its fullness. We have a pardon for our sin and we have every reason to celebrate, not only today, not only tomorrow, but with every day that God gives and with every breath that we have. I hope you'll join us, join me tomorrow for more from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 1. Let's bow our heads in prayer and turn our thoughts to the table set before us.